last few weeks, the subject has been hospitality. And um, I'll start there and I'll move on. And uh, I too have a collection of hospitality stories, some really interesting ones. And, um, but there's a bigger point that I want to make that needs the hospitality point to be a part of it. And I think if I contemplated all this was really Philip's point when he started his subject of hospitality a few weeks ago. And if you remember that, remember what he was saying, you'll see how that's the case when I get to the end. Um, about 20 to 21 years ago, I was pastoring in Mount Morgan and we had the Tent of Promise there visiting us. And um, this particular week, I don't know why, but I was staying down at my parents' house for the week and in the chalet, some of you know there's a shed there. We, it's been nicknamed the chalet. It's nothing like a chalet. Um, but that's the nickname. And so I was staying there. And this night I was coming back from Mount Morgan after the meetings at around about 11.30 or 12, midnight. The tent used to go to really late. And then you had the drive. And um, one night we even did midnight baptisms up there in the Mount Morgan Dam. Like, stuff happened. It was always very exciting when the tent would come to town. And um, this one night I'm driving back from Mount Morgan, 11.30, 12, and here's a hitchhiker walking near the range. And I knew that that bloke was not going to get a ride that night. Right? <laughs> I, I drove from Mount Morgan and back for years, and I used to run this competition in my, within my mind to count the number of cars I would pass to see what was the lowest number I could pass in one drive. And I knew that was because it was a 40 minute drive, I knew that's the equivalent of, of two lots of 40, you know, worth of cars, you know, do the maths, anyway. Um, so I knew that a, a night drive like that, I would pass no more than two to three cars in that entire, you know, entire 40 minutes. That was typical. One night, it was Christmas night at midnight, I passed zero cars, broke the record and then stopped the game because couldn't get any better than zero. So, um, but this night I see the guy, hitchhiker, and I knew he's not getting a lift tonight, unless it's me. So, pull over, want a lift? Yes, please. <laughs> and he hops, driving along, find out that this guy is a homeless guy. He, interesting story, he's from the Gold Coast, um, apparently came up to see his family, something didn't work out, he didn't get to see his family, he's now got to get back to the Gold Coast somehow. Anyway, I said, where are you staying tonight? Didn't have a house to stay. I said, well, do you want to stay with me in, you know, with... Anyway, he came back to the chalet for the night, gave him a bed. Next morning, I, he wake up, woke up before me and made me breakfast, of all things. Weirdest thing of all. When do guests get up and make their, their hosts breakfast? It never happens. Anyway, you want to know what he made me for breakfast? Marmalade toast. <laughs> That's probably all I had. That's what he had for breakfast. He probably looked and said, well, all there is is jar of marmalade and that's, anyway, that's what we had for breakfast. So I drove him, um, I didn't think too much about it, but I drove him and dropped him off on the corner of Target. You know where the Rock Building Society used to be? I don't know what's there now. But right on that corner, I dropped him off. I went like this, turned to wave goodbye and he was gone. Just, just disappeared into thin air. I, my eyes were literally off him for two to three seconds. And I thought, whoa, I reckon he was an angel. Can't be 100% sure about it, of course, but I have a hunch that I 
gave a bed to an angel for the night. And even more interesting, an angel made me breakfast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. Cakes from the Lord. Uh, that's the story of Elijah, in, if you want to look that up. Anyway, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, which I think was a uh, passage Philip may have mentioned. It says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. So I think that was me. And um, I posted that story on Cora.com. It's a social media site where you answer questions. And I uh, have answered a lot of questions on Cora.com, nearly all of them about the Bible. There's some crazy people posting questions that have no idea, and I just can't help myself. I've got to sort them straight. <laughs> so I've answered a lot of questions on Cora. But someone answered a question, have you ever met an angel or an alien and didn't know it? Well, I had to answer that question. So my answer has had, I don't know, 24,000 views and 300 thumbs up and I don't know. It's my, my best answer. <laughs> Clearly, um, anyway, you can go read it on Cora.com. But um, the fact is that sometimes there are people in our lives, according to the Bible, who are angels. Now, um, was that a test? I don't know. Someone on Cora.com commented and said, you passed the test. Must have been a Christian, I suppose. And um, it could have been a test. I don't know if it was a test or not. In fact, I'm not even worried if it was a test. I'm not even thinking, ooh, there could be a test. I better make sure I do the right thing to pass. I'm not even thinking like that. All I was thinking was, this poor bloke's not going to get a lift tonight. If I don't give him a lift, I better help him out. That's all I was thinking. I wasn't thinking, oh, better make sure I pass the test if it's one. No, you've got to be, think like a Christian and just say, I've got to help this person because they need help. <laughs> Can you imagine God in heaven? Humans have stuffed up. I better help them, otherwise I'll fail the test. No, no, God's just thinking he wants to help because he cares so much. See, that is the Christian attitude that we have in hospitality. And for some people, I think like my dad, it's just so automatic. He doesn't even think twice about helping. Um, but, and with the hitchhiking thing, I would think twice if I had, a, uh, I had a, car, a car full of kids. Like, you know, you, you apply wisdom to the situation as well. But in that particular situation, it was just me at that time and I, it was fine. But some people, um, it's automatic to help. But for a lot of people, it's automatic to not help. It's just human nature. Your culture has trained you to never think about it. No, not helping people. I've, I've got my stuff that I need to do. And so we've got to come to the point where we're willing to be inconvenienced. All right. Why don't we all take a minute right now and answer the question. Would you be willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of someone else? Okay, answer that question for yourself right now. If, if you were in a situation where you could help someone but it meant you had to be inconvenienced... Would you be willing? Well, I think as Christians, the answer would be yes. We would be willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of someone else. That means you're putting their needs above your desires, your wants, or your needs. That's a Christian thing to do. That's definitely what the Lord Jesus did. You think of God from his perspective in heaven. Was it an inconvenience to him to come to earth to die for our sins? 100%. It was not simple thing to do 
Um, but the Lord gets a lot of glory in the fact that he did it. And not only that, it's not about the glory, it's about the fact that he loved us and wanted to do it. Sometimes we look at people, the hitchhiker, I didn't particularly um, want to give a hitchhiker a lift, but you could say that I loved him in the sense that I cared about him. I didn't have a, a, a feeling of love like a, you know, you know that feeling of love that some people would describe where you're just so desiring out of your loving enthusiasm. I did not have that type of love, but there's other types of love. And I had the type of love for him where, you know, making sure he was looked after was there. That's a type of love. And that's what, what we call agape love. There's different types of love, but that's the type of love that Jesus had for us in going to the cross. Jesus had other types of love for us as well. Friendship love and compassionate love. He had all the types of love. He's perfect in his love. But sometimes you don't have to have a good feeling love for it to be love for someone else. Sometimes your love can be much more practical. So, yes, it was inconvenient to do that for the guy, but it was... It wasn't even something I thought about at the time. And, um, but there have been times in my life when I did not want to help people, uh, but I did. Um, there was a night, there was an afternoon where I found a guy covered in blood laying on the side of the road and he needed to go to hospital. And I guess in hindsight they could have called an ambulance. But I put him in my car and got blood all over my seats. I didn't want to. I didn't have any way of protecting my seats. I just knew the guy needs to get to the hospital. So you do it. Um, you don't really, you're thinking of your car, you're thinking of your seats, but then you're thinking of the guy. So there's times you help, even though it's inconvenient, but you do it. And I'm so glad about three minutes ago you all answered yes to the question, right? You did all answer yes to the question. I'm sure you did. And it's really important that you know that now because it's important to decide these things in advance because the Holy Spirit will remind you. You're going to, all of you at some point in the very near future, will be in a situation where you'll have the opportunity to assist someone in need. This person might be just your next door neighbor who needs something like sugar, something simple, or it may be someone you don't know at all which is, um, you know, the stranger angle that Philip was making a, a strong point about. It doesn't matter. The point is that there's going to be some time soon that you will be inconvenienced and you've already chosen to do it regardless. Okay? That's the way of Jesus Christ. And so, yes. And then I think what happens is when you do that a few times, it becomes a bit more automatic. It becomes a bit more natural and a bit easier to do. So the result of that is many types of things can happen to you and you'll end up with a collection of stories. I remember one night um, I was having dinner with Eric and Sharon and Naomi. Eric might be here. I don't know if Eric's here today or not. He might be here. We were having dinner at the mobile. Uh, I think it was the mobile. And a guy comes racing in the door and he's missed his train. And he's like, can someone take me to Mackay or uh, St. Lawrence or somewhere? I, I, well, Eric and I drove that guy for hours to catch him up to his train that night. And what do you think we talked about in the car? 
I'm pretty sure from memory, Eric was playing something like Kenneth Copeland or Kenneth Hagen or something in the car on a cassette, I'm pretty sure. Um, Eric might remember. But that guy got a dose of the gospel as well as practical loving help that night. Well, see, that was a little inconvenient to have to give your entire night to someone just because he missed the train. But, you know, it's Christians that do things like that. Right? There was no one else in the mobile was going to give that bloke a, train, a lift to the train. No, it's Christians that do things like that. And you're, you are all Christians. All right? So, will you be inconvenienced for the sake of others? Of course. That's what we do. So, that's my hospitality connection to what's been said the last few weeks. And I'll tie it in at the end of this message. But I'm now going to appear to change subjects. But I'm really not. And so, I'm going to now, we're going to put up a scripture from Isaiah 37, verse 30, which does look like it's got nothing to do with what we've just been talking about. But this is the word that I got from the Lord in listening prayer in 2021. And you might remember me saying to you that I really felt like the church was going to grow in the third year. And this was the scripture the Lord gave me. He says, this will be the sign for you, Hezekiah. This year you will eat what grows by itself, and in the second year what springs from that. But in the third year, sow and reap, plant vineyards and eat their fruit. We were enlisting prayer. I got this verse from the Lord. I really felt like the Lord was saying that um, three years from now, the church was going to grow. That's the impression that I got. And I've been really thinking about this verse um, since, especially since Philip started, since he preached on hospitality a month ago. Philip said something like, we're supposed to grow, and we are, and so, you know, th- th- we need to do something, right? And we are doing something. As a church, we've started that Sunday school. That's something that we're doing. This year, we've also started a young adults group. That's something we're doing. So as a church, we have started doing things. But as I was thinking about all of this, I realised that the Lord actually didn't say the church was going to grow. I I think that's what's going to happen. What it actually says is, in the third year, sow and reap. That's what the Lord said. In other words, there's something we're supposed to sow, and when we sow it, we will reap from it. And I think um, we're going to be really clear about this idea that we have to sow. And I also think we have to be clear about one other thing, that it's not the church's job to do this. It's really, really easy, I think, if you're sitting in the congregation to think, oh, the Lord said the church is going to grow in the third year, or the Lord said the church has to sow and reap, so the church has to do some stuff. I think there's really two clear points here. We are supposed to sow, and the we is you. The people of the church have to sow and reap. If you sow, you will reap. And see, being hospitable, that's a type of sowing, and I'll come back to that. But there are actually other types of sowing as well. So I think the natural assumption to make is um, that this is something that the leaders are going to do, the leaders are going to organise something, and as a result of what the leaders are going to do, there'll be growth in the church. Well, (laughs) 
the leaders are definitely going to do things and they're going to try things and, and we are that's why we started this sunday school and we started this young adults and there'll be other things that have, that will happen that's one of the reasons why i've changed the name of all our life groups to bible studies because i think that, that there's a whole line of reasoning that going behind that name change which i haven't said much about um, so there's things that are happening the leaders are doing things and thinking about things but the point is it's actually you it's Christians. It's people who love the Lord and come to church and want to f follow him. People like yourselves that need to sow and reap. Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to go in the Bible to Mark chapter 4. Now, when we think of sowing and reaping, we often think of money, right? Why do we think of money? It's because there's been so many sermons about money where they've talked about sowing and reaping. Sowing is giving money. Reaping is receiving money, Right? Well, no, that's one type of sowing and reaping. But it turns out sowing and reaping is like anything you do. Um, if you're at school and you've got no friends, well, sow friendliness and then you'll start to reap friends. You know, like it's, it's, anything, it's anything at all that you need. If you want to receive something, that's the thing you have to give away. I remember years ago in Mount Morgan, I gave away a guitar once. This guy, a young fellow in the church, was only 15 or 16, wanted to learn guitar. I had a guitar. I gave him my guitar. And then years later, I was thinking to myself, isn't it funny how people keep giving me musical instruments? And then I realized I gave away a guitar. And I didn't give it away thinking, oh, I just, if I sow, I'm going to reap 100 musical instruments. That's actually not generosity. That's actually greediness. If you give something away so that you can reap, that's greed. That's not generosity. See the difference? It's the attitude that makes it generous or not. You, you, you might give something away, but your attitude is whether it's the gen generosity or greed. Well, if you, um, <laughs> if you sow greed, what are you going to reap? <laughs> You're going to reap other people around you being greedy. We don't sow greed, sow generosity. I gave that guy a guitar because I wanted him to have my guitar. He wanted to learn. He didn't have the money. I wanted him to have a guitar. I had a spare one. I blessed him with it. You know, as John Batley a few years later said, hey, David, have a guitar. I never thought twice about it. John's a generous guy. A few years later, John gave me an electric ukulele. Now, that's a cool instrument. I played it at the Christmas concert one year. Other people have given me, someone gave me a banjo once. I think Blair Harp might have given me a banjo. I've been given stuff. I never thought about it, but I have sowed and reaped musical instruments. Well, that's just one example, but it turns out when you go to the Bible, there's actually a, an idea behind sowing and reaping which is to do with the gospel, and it's a major, major theme. We're going to try to move through this quickly now because I realise it's, it's 11 o'clock already. Mark chapter 4, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and he sat out in the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching he said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. When the sun came up, the plants were scorched. 
and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up, choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, it came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60 and some 100 times. So Jesus is telling a parable about sowing and reaping. So in this parable, what's the seed? It's the word of God. All right. We know that's true because in, I don't think I've given the, these guys the, the scripture, but in the next few verses it said, Jesus said, the seed is the word. Jesus just says it straight out. Oh, no, it's down here in verse 13. Let's jump down to verse 13. So Jesus said to his disciples, don't you understand this parable? How will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. So the seed is the word of God. And some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and receive it with joy, but they have no root and lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. And others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it and produce a crop, 30, 60, and some 100 times what was sown. So the word of God is a seed. It goes into people. In fact, it doesn't get into some people. It's just like being thrown on concrete. It never gets into the dirt. Some people, the seed goes in, but it doesn't do much. But for some people, the seed goes in, and if it goes into good soil, it produces 30, 60, 100 times the result. So the seed is the word of God. Now, what the Lord, I think, is saying to us is, in the third year, which I believe is now, we must sow and reap. It's time to start thinking about the word of God and how we need to use the Lord's words in the lives of people around us. Now, I know what's going to happen. Everyone's going to start panicking. Ah! I don't even remember the four Roman, the Roman road to salvation. I don't remember the four steps of the gospel message. Can I just say, please don't do any of those things. Please. Can I ban you all from ever using the Roman road? Can I ban you all from the four steps of the salvation message? Can I please do that? Are you, you all feel banned? Right, but you are not allowed to be banned from speaking the word of God. Okay? The gospel is not a series of steps. It's not a formula that must be spoken to people. If you do that, especially in this culture, all of the seeds will be like seeds on concrete. Okay? What we want is seeds that go into soil. And to do that, you need to speak the word of God. Now, I know maybe the difference is a little vague in your brain, but, for some of you, but it's not vague in my mind. Okay, the word of God is anything that the Lord has said. It's anything in the Bible. It's anything about Christ. It's what Christ has done for you. In other words, it's you being a Christian. It's you just 
not hiding your light under a bushel. It's you just being your normal Christian self. So if you have people around for dinner, say grace, because that's what you do. If you have to inconvenience yourself to help someone, and they say, why would you help me? You say, because I'm a Christian, and that's what I do. That's the word of God right there. That's a seed sown into a heart, and that seed will produce something. So it's, it's a case of you just being a real Christian, not trying to market the gospel like some big sales company. Don't market the gospel. It's so people don't like it. People don't even like normal marketing. You know what I mean? You know, you get phoned up at night by some um, Indian guy on the phone. If you're like the rest of us, you've probably got your strategy for dealing with that. And that's a whole interesting discussion worthy of a lot of talking. But no, the point is that no one likes it. It's not like they don't like religious discussion. No, they don't like any type of marketing and you instantly will not be listened to. If you want to do yourself a disfavour with the gospel, try to market the gospel. It will not work in our modern culture. Okay? It might work in the boondocks of some third world country where people don't have technology and they never have televisions and you turn up and say, oh, I've got a word from God for you. You'll probably gather the village around and they'll all want to listen to it. That's a different culture to ours. In our culture, they don't want to be marketed to. What our culture wants is they want to be interested in the things they want to be interested in. So if you get interested in, if you decide you're going to, you know, you're going to get into something like spearfishing, to pick a random thing, you're going to get on the internet, you're going to Google and learn, and you're going to find out that those ninja fins are the best ones you can get, the ones that Dennis makes. You know, you're going to research it, and you're going to find out all about it, and then you're going to get the thing you want, right? That's what people are going to do with the Lord. They're going to get interested in him when they decide to get interested in him. And you will help them be interested in him by being a real Christian. Do you know what I'm saying? So when you're at work and the dishes are piling up, because everyone you know, just keeps putting their cup there at the, at the sink, and there's a pile, as that happens at your work, does it? Yeah. Well, you do the dishes. You always be the one to jump in and do the job no one wants to do because that's being a Christian. And then when someone else says, why are you doing that? You say, well, you know what? I love my work, my fellow colleagues, and the Lord's put love in my heart for them, and I want to bless you guys. See, now you're different to everyone else because you're a Christian. That person will go home. At some point, that, see, that seed in their heart will germinate. Seeds do that. Seeds germinate. You've got no control over the germination of a seed, but they do, that's what they do. The Lord is telling us to plant seeds. In other words, do things for people without being asked. Take the initiative. Be willing to be inconvenienced. If people ask you, speak the truth, but don't push the truth on them because that will push them away. You're going to find that there's, a, there's just a way of being you that just works. It's called sowing, and it will reap. If I go to Bunnings, I buy a packet of seeds, I take them home, I plant them in pots, tomato seeds, what's going to happen to them? 
They sprout because they're seeds, right? It's really not that complicated. People think that sharing the gospel is this impossibility. It's not an impossibility. It's like literally the simplest thing you can do. You just be a Christian. So, <laughs> honestly, I found bringing people to the Lord easy in the course of my life. And I think you'll find it easy too once you start to do it. But in our minds it's hard. But what did Jesus say? Jesus said, pray for workers because the fields are white unto harvest. Jesus, the perspective of God is there's so many people waiting to be saved. We need people to work. In other words, people to sow and reap. The perspective of God is it's not hard. How hard is it to have a baby? Don't, rhetorical question. I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about all the things that happen with having a baby. I'm, what I'm saying is, how hard is it to initiate the process of having a baby? Not hard. In fact, people even like doing it. Right? It turns out some things can be simple and even enjoyable. And um, hopefully, you'll, hopefully you all remember that now. <laughs> Try to find something a bit memorable. I just want to say that bringing a new life into the kingdom of God will give you a lot of joy. And it's actually not hard. But we tend to be so focused on our own life, our own family, our own stuff that we've got to do. There's, no, there's, there's not even a 1% of our brain that's thinking of other people. We don't sow our lives into those around us. You could say we don't even care about them. That's obviously not the case, but I would say we don't care much about them. And um, when I think back over all the people that we led to the Lord in Mount Morgan, we, we, I, we did things for every single one of them. None of them were just a person that, that just say, that said a sinner's prayer and that was all. In the case of all of them, we were involved in their lives. If I think back, um, a guy in the church who's sink was broken and I said I think I've got one of those s-traps in my shed and I went round and fixed his s-trap for him I'm not a plumber probably wasn't legally allowed to do that I don't know if I could or couldn't but I went round and fixed his sink for him now why did I do that I have no idea why I did it I just did it because he said he needed it and I had a, the spare bit and I went and just did it but then oh you're the pastor from that church yeah yeah I never told him about the Lord once the fixing of his sink spoke more to him about the Lord than if I had spoke to him about the Lord. But when he said to me, when he asked me questions about God, do you think I avoided it? Of course not. I told him the truth. He needed the Lord. I told him I'd be praying for him. Things like that. It's really not hard. It's as simple as you can get. So... I don't want you to preach the steps of salvation to anyone. I don't want you to market the gospel. I don't want you to be trying to get someone to say the sinner's prayer. 
You know, in the Bible, what really astounded me in the book of Acts was how many times the unbeliever had to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? This is your goal. Your goal is to love people, to pray for them and speak the truth to them, but not tell them how to get saved. All right? Your goal is to get them to ask you, how do I become a Christian? That's your goal. They have to ask because then when you tell them the answer, they'll be listening. Do you know that there are actually people in the world, a lot of them, who are wondering that question right now? How do I become a Christian? How do I get saved? You know how I know this? Because I made Google ads that showed when someone typed that question in. This is how I got my internet evangelism started years ago. The first keyword I had was, how do I become a Christian? And my ad would pop up and it said something like, start again with Jesus, something like click here and find out how. That's all it was, really simple. People were typing in, how do I become a Christian? Clicking my page, going in, filling out them. They were ready. It was like ripe tomatoes. All you had to do was pick them off a bush. Simple as that. I led thousands of people to the Lord as easy as that. Not, there were people, like people are ready. Well, that's your job. Your job is to plant a seed by your love, by your prayers, by speaking the word when you're able. A plant will grow, and at some point there'll be fruit on that plant like a tomato, and it'll be ready to just pluck right off, and they will say to you, what do I actually do to follow God? They might not use your language. They might never know what born again means or any of this stuff, but they'll say it in their way. How do you become a God person? How do I follow God? Or they might say, what did you do to start following God? There you go. Pluck them off the bush. You've got them there. It's really simple. All right. If you read, go read the book of Acts. There's so many stories where people were just waiting to be plucked. That guy in the chariot, he's reading the book of Isaiah. He's like, do you understand this? Can you explain this to me? Pluck, got him. They're all like that. The Philippian jailer. There's the earthquake. Paul inconvenienced himself by not escaping when the prison doors flung open. Think about that. You're in jail, the prison doors fling open, and you decide for the sake of the gospel to stay in jail. Right? Then the, prisoner sa- the prison guard says, how do I become a Christian? Please tell me, because I want to be like you. Well, that's the gospel right there. See? It's really quite simple. <laughs> it's really, really simple. So I'm going to finish this message off. Um, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 14 to 16, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So the gospel that you will share and the seeds you sow will be full of good deeds. You don't hide them. But those good deeds signal that you're different to other people around you and you will have conversations around that and you will speak the word of God. And so um, my suggestion to you is don't bring up the topic of God unless someone else brings up the topic of God around you. This happened to me as a school chaplain. We were banned from talking about God because we were government funded. But Scripture Union in their great wisdom were able to explain that if someone else asks you about God, you're definitely allowed to answer, and this is the way that you can help them to ask you. You know, there are certain ways of acting and being, and then 
kids do bring up those questions. And then when you answer them, they're listening. So that's your job. Your job is to so love people that they will bring up the topic. Okay? All make sense? Very good. So this is the third year. We're all going to sow and reap. Right? You are going to sow. What I want you to do right now, this is the... I'm going to have the band come back, and we will finish with a song, but we're going to have a different type of altar call right now. The altar call where you don't come out the forward, the altar call where you stay in your seat, but you're all going to resolve in your brain one thing right now. All right? So there's someone in your life right now, and there's something you can do for them right now. I want you all to think right now, because what we're doing in this moment is you're responding to the Lord. What the Lord is saying to you is he wants you to sow and reap for the sake of the gospel. All right? So the question that's being put before you is what are you going to do? So I don't want just a yes, we'll do that. That's not good enough because that's too vague. If you say, oh, yeah, we'll do that. We'll live a life for Christ. It's vague because you haven't decided on a certain concrete step that you're going to do. You need to decide on something specific that you will do. So it could be that your neighbour never mows his lawn. You're going to decide right now, I'm going to mow his lawn. See that? That's a concrete step. That's something very specific you can decide. So there are people in all of your lives that need help. They need the love of Christ. It could be someone at school that sits on their own at lunch. Go and sit with them. They need a friend. It could be something like that. Okay, I want you all to decide right now one thing <laughs> that you're going to do for Christ because you're a Christian. All right? Have we all decided? Has everyone decided? There's not very many hands going up. I'd like to see a good old bunch of hands. Oh, great. Well, that's more than half. Terrific. So the next step is now to go and do that thing. Might be someone in hospital, visit them. Someone in aged care, someone you haven't seen for a long time that's lonely, go say hello. It could be any number of things. Someone that's a single mum, make them a meal. The Lord will put these things on your mind. Once you've done it, do it again. Do it again and be, develop a lifestyle of sowing for the sake of the gospel. So we're going to see the church grow. We are. That's what happens when you plant seeds. Things grow. It's the simplest thing in the world. Okay? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you said that you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. And so, Lord, right now, we might feel a bit inadequate, but, Lord, you are everything we need. And everything, Lord, you're everything, and we have you. And so, Father, I ask right now that you would open the minds and hearts of every person at peace and everyone that's a part of peace remotely. Lord, open their minds and their hearts right now. Give us understanding. And I pray this very week that we would sow, we would start this process of sowing and reaping. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would have seeds that germinate in the lives of people all around us because of, Lord, the power of Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel. So, Father, I want to thank you that you sowed your life into the earth 
And Lord, the result of your sowing of your life is us. You reaped us. And I thank you, Lord, that we are Lord, the first fruits. And now I pray that there would be more who would come to call themselves Christians. There'd be more people who come to know the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I ask for grace to be multiplied among us. In the name of Jesus. Amen.